Welcome to the Move to Spain Just Lost Listers podcast. This is podcast two. My name is John Tao and I'm the Director of Legal. And I am Sean, uh, Marketing and Business Development at Just Lost Listers. Thank you for coming back to the second episode. Yeah, it's, it's much appreciated. We can, all, we can only get better. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed it only goes up from here. You know, it'll be good to, to have more guests on. And also as uh, news develops, we can bring it to you across Spain. Yes, if you'd like to be a guest, you can email Sean at business at justlostlisters.com. Yeah, we'd love to speak to anybody. You know, whatever you're comfortable with, if you would rather not use your name, we can do things anonymously. But if you just have a story you want to share, please get in touch. Um, I'd love to chat with you. How's the weather been? Uh, sunny as usual. I actually went to, I was in Barcelona this weekend, so I can't really oh. report on the, the Malaga weather. But um, I think I, ha- I have, I, to be honest with you, I've got to go back on my word. A few weeks ago, in one of the Facebook oh. videos that we uploaded on the group, I said that Barcelona wasn't my favorite. And I can now change my mind and say, I was wrong. Barcelona <laughs> was great. I enjoyed it a lot. So, and it was very sunny there. No coats needed, even though it's all the way up in the north. So, yeah, I was I was probably walking the dog in Malaga for the weekend. And yeah, t-shirt weather, probably 18, 19, blue skies. But today's today's a little bit cold for us. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe not. It's not cold. I don't know. Just <laughs> another, a bit, essentially another sunny week in Spain. Yeah, you know? it's a little bit, I think maybe 17, 16 today. Yeah, but I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, we, we've acclimatized now, haven't we? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, as, as we did last week, uh, we, we have a couple of segments. Um, the first one is going to be news. So I've lined up some of the, the news this week. Um, the first bit is that there have been some changes to tourist rental rules yeah. in Andalusia. Um, at the minute, individual communities can already make decisions about whether to allow more tourist license, but there's been some changes um, about the sizing, I believe. Do you yeah, have more I mean, basically, the Unter Andalusia, um, it's not in the boy, it's in the, which is the Spanish national law. It's the, the Borja, which is the, the bulletin, the, the official bulletin of Andalusia. And what they've done is they've declared minimum sizes for rooms and main areas for, for tourist license. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense, really. You, can't rent out a tiny shoebox and put somebody in that room for their happy holidays in Spain. To go back a step, if you want to rent your house out, for example, on Airbnb or booking.com or just your own website, you need to have a tourist license in Spain. And it's right to say that not every community or local authorities probably want a better word. So as always, when you buy a property in Spain, I say take independent legal advice. So make sure you ask your lawyer. Hopefully it's us that just lost this, but make sure you ask your lawyer. This property I'm buying is a tourist license available for this property because I might not be here all the time and I want to rent it out to, to holiday makers. So it's just another thing to add to your list of due diligence when you buy a a property in Spain. And I I believe this there's an article published by one of the group members, Bill Anderson, uh, uh, who is the editor of Euro Weekly. Mm -hmm. So you can easily easily find that for the full for the full article. But really do your own due diligence before you 
you buy your property yeah. here in Spain. I think the only other thing I saw about that was uh, a sort of a red flag put up around rural properties. So yeah. it is very important to make sure that you've got your bases covered going into that. Yeah, rural properties have particular challenges with things like um, water supplies, electricity supplies, sewage. Again, just make sure that your lawyer tells you that everything is good to go before you take the plunge and buy the property. Because we always talk about how expensive purchase taxes yeah. in Spain. So just make sure you've done it right. You can, we can give you advice from one of our property lawyers that just lost solicitors, but any independent lawyer, just make sure you get the bar registration number of your lawyer in writing. And that lawyer isn't connected with the estate agent or the private seller who's trying to sell you that property. Just like you would, for example, in the United Kingdom, I suppose it's the same in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. They usually do have, they would recommend having somebody to come and look at the property and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's just, if you're making an investment, you're spending a lot of money, it is good to just Oh, absolutely. Sure. Life-changing amounts of money take, take independent legal advice. Yeah. Other than that, um, this is some good news for those of you who might be interested in golden or investment visas. There's been um, some information released by the Andalusian Institute of Statistics and Cartography. Um, the Malaga province has had uh, the highest rate of company startups in almost two decades. Every month, there have been around 600 new companies in 2023. Oh, wow. Yeah, so overall, it's just over 7,000 uh, for the entire year. And it just seems to be going up and up every year, 11.5% compared to the previous year. That, I just add, that's year 2022 to year 2023. Yeah. Yeah, 11.5% increase. Wow. Mm-hmm. Correct. The biggest sectors that those things are taking place, real estate, construction, hospitality, uh, which is understandable uh, given the, the region that we're in. Um, and that is attributed to just a massive continual increase in tourism. Probably post-COVID things are sort of starting to bounce back up. Uh, but that's just sort of a short piece of news there. But if you are looking to make investments or uh, you know to get that golden visa, Andalusia, Malaga could be the place to go to. Or even the self-employed visa. Yeah. Or even the self-employed visa because the golden visa, you need to buy property or properties, um, <sighs> land, parking spaces, warehouses, apartments, a- anything goes. But the self-employed visa, you don't need to spend 500,000 euros. So again, that, hopefully that's echoed in other areas like Alicante, Murphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine maybe Malaga is just sort of the bigger city, so it's it's focused yeah. around that. Well, it's interesting because I think we mentioned it. It's either in one of the articles on the Move to Spain Facebook group or the earlier, the first podcast is that Forbes magazine voted Malaga the best place yeah, to live. That was last 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 episode. Yeah. We spoke about that, and we had a bit of a chat about about Malaga. But that might explain the increase in rates in Malaga. It could do. It could do. I think that's also why relating it to the previous news story, they're being a bit more strict about tourist licenses and things like that to combat uh, increasing rents for people who want to rent long term, not just for holiday yeah, rentals. Yeah. Other than that, the last little bit of news I have is uh, more related to the retiree demographic. Um, In an ever-increasing digital world, people prefer to use cash outside of various apps, whether it be Revolut, Bizoom. There's been some legislation passed in Congress by almost every single political party has agreed to this. Um, Wow. Well, there's there's a first. Yeah, no, exactly. Especially, Especially in Spain at the moment. 
Um, essentially, the legislation uh, is mandating the installation of at least one ATM in every, every town that has over 5,000 inhabitants. There's a quote here from uh, Jordi Munel, who's I think a Catalonian a Congress member, who said that older people just do not like online banking. There's a, a statistic that's three out of four senior uh, residents in Spain are unable to use mobile banking apps. So if you prefer cash, uh, and you believe cash is king. Spain is a place that is welcoming your cash and uh, wants to continue supporting uh, a cash society. Yeah, I think that um, for business owners, when they receive payment by, by card, they lose 3%, is it? Uh, it? I think it depends on the provider you use. There are different machines. So it's, it's better, for the, better for the business owner as well if you can, yeah. if you can pay cash. Personally, I don't mind uh, using my card when I feel quite comfortable, but I, c I can definitely understand oh, why. Yeah, I think you're, 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 I'm you're of a generation that is <laughs> welcoming. I don't even, my, my, um, I've been told that I'm like the queen, that I walk around without any cash on me just because I expect everywhere to take I must, card. I must admit, I have my um, online banking app, which I've got through um, BBVA. I'm not, I'm not paid by BBVA, but they have a fantastic online bank here in Spain that's free to use um, and I do I do use that I do have a Apple Pay but I've, I've genuinely not yet used it but yeah so everything is available in Spain you can you I can mean use. once you once you figure out to use Apple Pay I will say on the autopista uh, the AP7 here that goes from sort of Malaga uh, and around the Costa del Sol at the toll booths if you use Apple Pay you save so much time I've been stuck behind so many people who are fumbling with cash before. Yeah, yeah, just if you stick your phone out the window and tap it, it makes it so much easier. That is the end of the news for today. Um, we've, on our next segment, we're gonna have a guest. So we are looking forward to that. We'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Welcome to part two of the Just Lost Listers Move to Spain podcast. Um, as always, um, I'm John Tal and I'm with Sean Munden. And today, our guest is Lisa Wright. <laughs> um, to get started, I mean, uh, for those of you who don't know, Lisa, Lisa emailed us um, to, to have a chat with us today on the podcast. Do you want to go ahead and give yourself a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, I joined the Move to Spain group um, because we live in the northwest of Spain, in Galicia, which is um, a very different part of Spain from a lot of the rest of it. Um, it's an interesting area. We've been here for 17 years, so I felt that maybe I could give a bit of help to people that were thinking of northern Spain, maybe, um, as something different. Um, yeah. And you're, you're um, an author? I am, yes, for my sins, yeah. <laughs> I've, written, um, three, I've written three books about our experiences moving to Galicia and another three travelogue memoirs about our uh, travels around the world. Oh, that, that's excellent. And so you've, so you've written three books in total? I've written six in total, three six. about our experiences moving to Galicia and then three others. I know that you um, as well were renovating a 200-year-old stone farmhouse and were hoping to be more uh, self-sufficient. But before we get into that, obviously it was, it was quite a while ago now that you left the UK, but I wanted to ask what was life like in the UK for you and what was it that really pushed you to want to move to Spain? Yeah, it's a long time ago now. It's certainly um, well pre the uh, B word, which we won't mention. <laughs> um, we 
when I met my now husband in England, we'd both looked at moving away from England to be more self-sufficient, somewhere where we could afford to buy somewhere, where we could enjoy growing things with a better climate than it was in Manchester, uh, Rochdale, where we lived. And we walked part of the Camino de Santiago and completely fell in love with northern Spain and particularly with Galicia. And we found that houses were at that time incredibly cheap in Galicia. Um, stone houses, you can see part of my stone house behind me. Uh, for, the, for, the, for, the people, for the people listening, it's a beautifully pointed stone wall with some rustic, rustic beams. <laughs> Thank you, John. Yes, I forgot we hadn't got um, <laughs> video on. Sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Good description. Yes, so um, we found our completely um, derelict house and decided to, to do that. The thing that really, I think, made us fall in love with Galicia was, surprisingly, the weather. Um, it doesn't get too hot in summer. It doesn't get really cold in winter. Uh, we have enough rain to grow the crops that I want to crop to grow, um, but nowhere near as much rain as we had in Rochdale. So I think. So I think. I can I just say I think just for just for people who are listening further afield. Um, let's see. Rochdale is a wet area of Britain. Would that be fair? That would be a very fair assessment, John. Yes. So it's about half. It's about halfway up on the left, Rochdale, and Galicia is in the top left-hand corner mm -hmm. uh, of Spain, isn't it? That's right. We went from northwest England to northwest Spain, so oh. about a thousand odd kilometers south, I guess, something like that. Was there was there any reason? Because obviously, a lot of people in the group are very interested in moving to the south of Spain. Was that ever a thought in your mind about moving there or were you always keen on staying in the north of Spain? Um, it wasn't really, mainly because we wanted to be self-sufficient and grow our own crops. And with the issues, especially now in the south with, with water and with drought conditions, we felt that for us, the, the north would be better. Um, my husband isn't keen on really hot weather. So as I say, we do get it into the 30s. We've occasionally got it into 40 in the summer, but thankfully that's fairly rare. That's very unusual, isn't it? It's getting more so, to be honest. The weather has, if I dare say, the weather has changed in the 17 years we've been here. We haven't had any snow here. We're at 500 metres above sea level, and we've had no snow here for seven years, I think, now. Um, when we first came, we had snow pretty much every year if not much. It's, it's interesting because, I don't know people on the Move to Spain Facebook group now, but I have a cortillo up in the Alpajaras and it's 1,000 metres. <laughs> so I think we probably give or take a bit similar. I have spring water all year, you know, and six acres. Um, I have to say I'm not farming six acres, thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, so, so for Galicia, obviously, it's a much bigger area than, than, than the high... Alpujarras. I think I think the, the thing with Spain that I certainly didn't realise when I moved here, and maybe a lot of people don't, is that it's a big country with a very wide range of sort of habitats of, of different climate conditions. It's a very high country, as John says. You know, you can get mountainous regions everywhere. I mean, Granada or around there is very high. Yeah. Well, skiing, skiing in the Sierra Nevadas, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 
But you can also get Galicia on the coast is quite mild. They very rarely get frosts. Um, like I say, we don't get as many as we used to. So I think Spain is a huge country, really. People don't realise that near the coast it's much, much milder the weather, isn't it? Yes, yeah, whichever coast you're on. I mean, obviously the Mediterranean coast is warmer, but it's mm. mild whichever coast you're on, really. I mean, and taking a few steps back, you, you said about being self-sufficient and how the land is more suitable. Ex explain that to me. Um, how, what does that look like? How does that work? How did you, you know, come to want to be more self-sufficient? Um, I've always had allotments and gardens in the UK. My dad grew a lot of our own vegetables when I was a kid, um, just in the garden. We had a council house in the UK and he grew vegetables in the garden. So I've always liked growing my own things, enjoyed doing it. And in the UK, it was getting for us more expensive to find somewhere with enough land to do that. I mean, I'm not talking about a lot of land. We've got about a thousand square meters. So not a huge, huge amount for, for growing uh, in addition to the house. Um, but here we have a mixture of fruit trees, nut trees. I can grow you know, tomatoes and peppers and I can also grow carrots. So we've got quite a good climate for growing both the Mediterranean type vegetables and the more uh, northern sort of UK type vegetables as well. We seem to be on a bit of a, a cusp, if you like, between the two. Um, so we get enough rain generally um, to grow most things that we want to. So, In the Alpaharas, we have, um, well, I, I, me included, we have um, fig, fig trees. Are there any fig trees up, up your way? Yes, we've got a fig tree, a very large old fig tree. It's um, a honey fig, so it's not the purple figs, but the ones that are more yellowy green, very sweet. Okay. They're annual figs rather than the... The two one, where you get two crops, yeah. Yes, that's right, yeah. We only get the one crop usually in midsummer. Although, to be fair, the blackbirds get most of them, so, you know. <laughs> one, of, one of my particular favourites is the mulberry, mulberry trees. Do you have any of those? Uh, we haven't. Yeah, I'm sure they would grow because they grow in England, but we don't get any. With the with the project produce that you you do, you know, farm. What do you do with it? Are you are you selling it? Are you using it yourself? Are you an avid cook? Uh, what what does that look like at home for you? Um, we basically grow enough for ourselves, uh, so I'm not selling it. I'm I'm a very avid cook. I love cooking. I love baking. We've got chickens too, so we have a lot of eggs, which is useful. Um, basically, we keep it, I preserve it, I freeze it, I bottle it. I, this last year, I had so many peaches. I've done just about everything I can think of with peaches, really. As long as you don't distill it, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I've done that well, not distill, but I do use the, the local firewalker, the Aguadiente. It makes very nice, um, very nice liqueurs. Yeah, if, if done legally and in accordance with all the local regulations and requirements. <laughs> and so would you, would you recommend uh, the sort of lifestyle that you have to people who are looking to move to Spain? I think it totally depends. Everybody's an individual and I think it depends on what, what you want from your move to Spain. Um, my brother actually lives in the southeast of Spain, in Murcia, and theirs is a totally different lifestyle to ours. Um, I think it entirely depends. If you want, hmm, I'm trying to think what the differences would be, really. 
I think a lot of the people that are maybe moving sort of from Canada or the, the north of, of the United States, then the north of Spain might be something that, like for us, it's it's that bit warmer than where you come from, but not, you know, the, the really heat of the south. We, um, a lot of people move to Spain because they want the warmth and, you know, the the heat. Um, I think one thing I would say about Galicia is we do have a high humidity, so it might not suit people who want a very dry heat. Even in summer, it's very humid here, so it feels hotter than it is in summer, I think. I suppose in the summer, uh, the places with the least humidity is going to be somewhere like, um, well, the Alpaharas, where they make ham. So that has to be very dry. And maybe down in um, maybe down in Almeria as well, if you're not looking for the um, humidity. Yeah, I think Almeria, definitely, as long as you don't want any water as well. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the spring which comes down from the Sierra Nevadas. It runs, it runs all year. Yeah, we've, we've got a, a spring-fed well too. It actually, our it did run out one year and uh, our neighbour, who is almost 60, said it was the first time in her living memory that it had run out, wow. which I think says something about the water situation even up here, really. Wow. I yeah. think that's, uh, that's 50-odd years and it the first time it had ever run out. So, Yeah, I, I have to say that having, I don't, I don't know if you still call them cortijos of where you are, but having a, a farm, a small holding, you, you, never, you never have a dull moment. That, that's very true. We have some uh, well, some great incidents here um, when the hunters come through. We have a lot of the hunt coming through. They hunt the wild boar here. So how so how long did it take you to renovate the house, or is it like mine? It'll just never be finished. Um, we actually finished it during lockdown. I think if it hadn't have been for lockdown, it possibly never would have been. But um, yeah, we finished it in twenty twenty. I think you're the first person I've ever spoke to who's declared it finished. Well. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe yeah. not quite finished. There's a couple of things actually thinking about that will probably never get finished. Yeah, exactly. Finished yeah. as it will get, I think. Oh, wow. To be fair, we did renovate two houses in that time, so I think that's... So where's your nearest big town so everybody from a, around the world can sort of have a look? Where would, where would that be? Big. Um, our nearest city is Lugo, the Roman city of Lugo, um, which has the... I think the, the best example of a continuous Roman wall in existence. Oh, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, worth looking at. That's our nearest big city. We're is, between is, Lugo and Orense. Is it easy to get into the city from where you are? Or do you need like a car to get around? Are there good public transit options? Or is it a bit more isolated? There's, there is public transport. There are buses from our, our local market town, which is only a half hour walk from us uh, at the most. But they're not very frequent. I think there's four a day. So, you know, you've got to time it. A car, I think in rural Galicia, a car is pretty much essential unless you want to walk a long way or use, you know, a bicycle. Public transport is doable, but not easy. It's not a city. It's not in the cities, yes, but rurally, no. I'm sure everybody wants to hear about the local bar. <laughs> oh, we've got plenty of those. Um, We've got, I think, nine in our local market town. So our local market town has a population of about 2,000 people. And I think we've got nine bars. Uh, I think still three restaurants um, and a doctor's school, other things like that, two pharmacies. 
is that is that the closest is that the closest bar to you in in the in the market town yes it would be it's about it's about a half hour walk it was one of the things that um really sold us this house because it's it's a half hour walk uphill into town and it's a half hour downhill walk home yeah that 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 that, that, that was basically mine as well i think i'm about 20 minutes um, and then the last bit is uphill to the bar. So coming back from the bar, it's downhill, and then it's flat. So that, that's quite good. So you're gonna you see, yeah, so downhill, the, downhill is good. Yeah, downhill is much downhill is much better. <laughs> so what's so what's the tapas situation where you are then? Um, very good. We had a, a tapas competition a couple of weeks ago uh, in town. They have it every year. So um, they do. Um, various tapas all the bars take part and you go around and judge which tapas you think is is the best and then they they do prizes for people that actually won a prize uh, for people who put in the the form oh so make sure we put that on the notes award-winning tapas curator. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what, what did you submit what was your your food no it wasn't our food you go around and try all the tapas in the different bars Ah, I see. And then you say which ones you like best, and everybody who puts in the form with their their oh. favourite bar on gets put into a prize draw. So ah, I see it. So you're just you're secretly you're the best tapas taster. That's the prize there. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Tapas for everybody listening that doesn't know what it is. It's like in some places, um, and I, I, I'll ask Lisa in a moment. But in some places, for example, Granada, when you order a drink, you're given a very a small meal. That's that's you get what you're given basically. It could be like a piece of fried um, pork on a bit of bread with a couple of olives, um, and the next course can be something completely different. So basically, the more drinks you buy, the the more you eat, and it's it's inverted commas free. You pay like two euros for a beer, and then you get the tapas with it. Some places you you have to you have to pay for it, and you're given a menu. What's the situation in in, in Galicia? Um, it does vary. In our local town, the uh, tapas or tapitas, as they call them, because they're just a small snack, are free. Um, our wine in the local bars is around a euro still. Uh, a bottle of beer would be two euros. You can buy wine in the local shops for about one thirty-nine. I think, is the wow. cheapest now. Yeah. Um, wow. And our local, most of our local bars make their own wine. Um, they are, they're good. I like them. They're not strong wines. I'm I'm not a Rioja fan. I'll admit it. Uh, I like our local wine. It's it's a drinkable wine. It's a young wine. It's fairly low alcohol, maybe about eleven percent, eleven and a half, which is great for drinking in the evening and having a snack or three. So, but usually our tapas, there's a usually a menu um, between three and six items on the menu. You choose what you want. Um, one of our favourites is uh, bacon sandwiches, which our local bar does, and he does bacon and cheese, which is absolutely fabulous. If you had brown sauce as well, it would be perfect. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good point, actually. Is there anything you miss from the UK? Are there any sort of delicacies that you can't get in Galicia that you're you're always pining for? I think as the years have gone by, there's been less and less that that I pine for. Um, we still get Marmite from the UK. You can buy it here, but it's a lot more expensive. Um, I've made my own brown sauce. I make my own ketchup. Um, black treacle I still get from the UK because we can't get it here. They don't seem to know what black treacle is. Mm. Uh, for Americans listening, that's like molasses, that yeah. sort of thing. 
because um, I don't think you have it either. Um, no, not really. I think husband would say real ale. He misses his real ale. Mm. He was a camera member in the UK. He, uh, yeah, we don't we don't get so much. Sometimes little have a, a British week with real ale on. So usually all the Brits go and queue out of the door and stock up. At that it's actually. Am I right in thinking that Galicia is like a cider region? Uh, Asturias more than Galicia, I think, for cider. Asturias on the north coast is more cider. Uh, Galicia is more, more wine, really. We're quite a big wine-growing region. We have the Ribera Sacra, where we live, which is quite a big wine-growing region along the two main rivers of Galicia, which is the Mino and the Sil. They're very steep. They call it the uh, heroic viticulture because it's on such steep hillsides oh, growing. It sounds like the Alpaharas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably very similar, actually, I think. So what's your favourite Spanish food, then? Have you got a favourite? Apart from the bacon sandwiches. <laughs> um, Galician-wise, I think it'd have to be a pulpo uh, octopus, which is probably not very popular with some people, but a big thing in Galicia is the, um, the octopus. It's a, a very big tradition here. And uh, yeah, I mean, some things you just have to try. I mean, some things sound sound terrible, but once you've tried it, it's 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 quite nice. But there must be a lot of seafood in Galicia. Yes, there is. Yeah, seafood's a big thing here. Yeah, especially on the coast, there are a lot of seafood restaurants, seafood and pigs. How far are you from the coast? Um, about an hour and a half in in uh, north or or west. We're sort of in the middle of Galicia, so. We're probably about the furthest you can get from the coast, but it's nice and easy to drive here. It's, it's lovely. It's quiet. The roads are very quiet, so driving around is easy. We don't really have any huge cities that... I mean, our, our biggest city, I think, is probably Vigo, and I think it's got just less than 300,000. That's the biggest city. Uh, Lugo has about 100,000 people, I think, maybe. I'm so... I was up there a few years ago, two or three years ago. I remember the the the, the vino verde. Mm. <laughs> That's more Portuguese, isn't it? I think it, it's North Portugal, but we do have a similar similar sort of young white wines here as well. Yeah. I just explain just explain the geography. If you go south from where Lisa lives, you actually get to Portugal. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Galicia is. Really more similar, I suppose, to northern Portugal than to a lot of the rest of Spain. Um, they were part of the same region uh, many, many years ago. Um, Galician, the language is quite similar to Portuguese in some ways. Um, certainly the sound of Galician is more like the Portuguese with the soft sh sound rather than the harsher jota. But people... But people can communicate in Spanish if they move there. That's not a problem. Oh, yes. Everybody speaks Castellano. Everybody speaks Spanish. But it's it's like um, Andalusia. You have their own... Everywhere in Spain has their own language as well, really. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I came down, I thought from my university experience that I was going to have a pretty good grip on the Spanish. And then <laughs> my first day in the office here, I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I don't understand what's going on just because the accent was so... So different. I'm acclimatized now, but I imagine it's very similar. And I think I think one of the things I'm sure you'll say that one of the things for people moving to Galicia and other places is learn some Spanish. 
I think moving anywhere, to be honest, it's better to learn Spanish. Obviously, in some of the enclaves, you can get away with speaking just English. But, I mean, for me, I felt that to move to somebody else's country, I ought to make an attempt to learn their language. Mm-hmm. Now, nice. don't get me wrong, my Spanish is anything but fluent. <laughs> um, but we always make an effort, and most people here now understand the weird English that speaks strangely. It's funny because when I go somewhere else now and I'll, I don't know, ask for a, a beano or something and they'll go, what? Nothing. But everybody at home understands me. Yeah. And I guess it's, you know, like you say, you get used to it. Um, it's like maybe that friend at school you had with a really strong accent, but you know what they're saying. You can understand it. I, I think I think in my local bar, I would always call the, um, the vino Torano, I always call it vino de Campo. And I think they've stopped, and they just think, well, he doesn't know. We just give it, but that's what he means, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, we, we've said some probably ridiculous things over the years, but I think the more effort you make, the more the Spanish really appreciate it. I've found in this area, I don't know about elsewhere, but I've found in this area that if you attempt even a little Spanish, they, they're they amazed and, and really pleased that you've tried. Um, I've been complimented on my Galician so many times and really, you know, it's probably about a dozen words, but because I'll say a word in Galician, they're like, oh, you speak such good Galician. Oh, thank you very much, yeah. So how how, dif- how different is Galician to Spanish? Um, it's probably, I would say it's sort of a mix of Portuguese and Spanish. Like I say, they have a, a letter called a she, which is an X, and it's pronounced as a sh sound um it's it's slightly softer than spanish but pretty much reading wise you if you read it you can work out what it's saying speaking wise i find especially the older gentlemen here tend to speak without opening their mouths so that can be quite difficult they sort of so that that's quite difficult to to understand i think so what about, um, we have a lot of people that listen from you know, like South America and there's people from the United States who've, who speak Spanish, but I'd still call it South American Spanish. Would they be okay in Galicia? Would they be fine communicating? Yes. I mean, again, it's, it's different words, but most people, nearly everybody in Galicia has some family member, I think, who has emigrated to South America at some point. There was a lot of emigrations from Galicia uh, in the 50s and earlier. Um, so I think a lot of people have relatives there. So I don't think it's a problem. They're, they'll be able to understand. Yeah, we've noticed a lot of uh, people coming back the other way with, with applying for visas and Spanish passports and things. A lot of people coming back. Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly in Galicia, there was um, a programme for people who were living in South America that had come from Galicia originally, their parents or grandparents, where they could get help moving back to Galicia. I don't know whether it's still running, but it was. Yeah, nationwide, it doesn't matter where, Spain, if you have a a South American passport um, or a former Spanish colony, which isn't limited to South America, I think there's one in um, Equatorial Guinea, you can you can come to Spain and after two years of legal residence, you can have a 
have a Spanish passport, so as opposed to... That's right, yeah. I think at one point Galicia was actually offering sort of airfares and things as well for people to come and have a look and see if they liked it and wanted to move back. They were really wanted people to move back, especially younger people. Is it an area that's quite depopulated then, Galicia? It's an ageing population in Galicia. Um, population is going down fairly rapidly, really. It's an, in our small market town, I think something like a quarter of the population are over 80. So that's quite a, an ageing population, really. Have you, heard, have you heard of the digital nomad visa? I have, yeah. Do you think, do you think that's going to make a difference to these um, rural populations? I think it can do, especially now. I mean, for 17 years, we had virtually no internet. If I wanted to do a meeting like this, I would go into town, either into a bar, or since that's really not very quiet, as I'm sure you know, Spain isn't a quiet place, I would sit in the car and you know use my telephone, but sit in the car where we had better signal. Um, but we now have rural internet, we have fibre, it's very good fibre. And the Galician Shunta, the council, are really trying hard to get um, cable fibre to, to every rural establishment, every every rural village. So, I mean, our, our little aldea, our little village is only six houses and we've got uh, fibre now, so that's excellent. I think they're really trying hard and that will make a big difference to people being able to work digitally. I yeah. think from rural communities. Yeah, I just have to say I'm talking to Lisa now on um, Zoom, and I can see Lisa, and it's like watching the television. It's perfectly clear. In fact, I would probably argue that Lisa's connection is better than ours, considering <laughs> we had quite considerable trouble getting connected. So, yeah. how did you find the house? How did you actually find it? Um. Well, when we did the Camino de Santiago. I'd, I'd actually never, I admit, I'd never heard of Galicia. I had nowhere, no idea where Galicia was. Um, my husband suggested doing the Camino. And I started Googling. I don't know what we did without Google, but I started Googling Galicia and everything about it. And I came across an estate agency that was selling old rural houses. And I thought, oh, they look rather nice. You know, stone houses falling to pieces, just look like they got our name on it, really. So we ended up looking at houses um, instead of finishing the Camino, actually. Uh, but anyway, and we saw quite a few houses, but nothing we really wanted. And then we came back two, three times, I think, with various estate agents and just fell in love with the area and with the properties that were oh, just needed some TLC, you know. We, we had a question from somebody in Move to Spain, actually, quite recently. Um, they're, they're interested in moving to Galicia and they were wondering if you had any specific recommendations on a good place. Like you said, they're, they're sort of the, the older demographic, the part of the aging population. So they were hoping for somewhere not too hilly, maybe a little bit more flat. Do you know anywhere that would be good for somebody sort of in that range for a house? Depends what sort of thing you're looking for, really. I mean, if you want um, a milder climate, then definitely the coast. Um, the coast is slightly flatter than the interior. Um, if you want sort of a larger population, then A Coruña um, is, I think, the second biggest city, but really beautiful. It's got some lovely countryside, nice flat walks around 
the old city, um, one of my favourite cities actually. Uh, but also the interior north of Lugo is an area called the Terrachar, which is very flat. It's a higher area. It's around four to 500 metres above sea level, but very flat. So that's another good area and good connections to Lugo there. Um, if you want good connections to Madrid, then from Arenci now, there's the Ave, the fast train, which gets you to Madrid in, I think, two and a half hours now as opposed to the sort of six hours it used to take in the old days. Very so speedy, uh, very speedy. I think just to touch on the geography for people who don't quite know, know as well, um, you can actually go uh, by ferry direct from Santander to, to England, can't you? From Santander you can, yeah. It's about a five-hour drive from where we are to Santander, um, slightly less if you're starting from the coast. And what's your, what's your main, what would be the main airport for flights to places? Uh, Santiago. Santiago de Compostela is our closest, but a Porto in the north of Portugal has more flights. It's slightly further from us, but quite near to Vigo, probably only an hour, an hour and a half from Vigo, which is on the west coast, southwest coast, uh, southwest of Galicia coast. Um, so... So Galicia, we have a west coast, which is the Atlantic coast, um, which is sort of more, uh, more rugged with um, a lot of inlets, very beautiful coast. We have Vigo, which is towards the south of that. That's the biggest city, uh, very vibrant, lots to do, quite near to Portugal. And then going up the coast, you have Pontevedra, which is a smaller city, very pretty, uh, only about 90,000 people, I think. And the, the coast up there, the beaches are beautiful. Um, pretty cold to see, but great if you if you like uh, sea dipping. Um, very, very sparsely um, used beaches in compared to sort of the Mediterranean, I guess. Uh, even in July, we've been and had a beach to ourselves. I mean, it's uh, even when it's hot. Luxurious. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's an eye-opener for people who... Um been to the south and the, and the east coast. To, to it's have packed. It. It's packed. Ridiculous amount for a lounger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, we've got so many beaches that are just beautiful, I think. I mean, it depends what you want, obviously. If you want a beach with all the facilities, with the loungers, with the, the cafes, we've got those too. But we've also got, you know, pristine beaches where there's nothing around, just you and your towel and, you know, whatever. It's uh, beautiful, I think. I mean, well, no wonder you have so much inspiration for your books. If it, you know, it sounds so beautiful, you know, pristine beaches, beautiful food, beautiful scenery, oh, just everything. Yeah, yeah I'm, com I'm completely uh, in love with Galicia. We have, we've got so much, we've got the mountains. We have a ski resort. We have one ski resort in Galicia, um, not as high as uh, around Granada and the Sierras, but we have a ski resort. We have um, Atlantic rainforests, which is uh, one of the few Atlantic rainforests left, uh, humid forests. We've got we've got so much. We've got sand dunes. We've got one of the largest mobile sand dunes in Spain, apparently. Um, I'm going to have to book my flight. I'm going to be up there next week by the sounds of it. It sounds too fun. Oh, what, what's the book that What's the book called that you wrote about Galicia? Um, I wrote three about our adventures moving here. That was a trilogy. And then I've written one about basically our travels around Galicia, which 
if if people are interested in moving here, might be interesting. It's various places we've been in Galicia, and that was called Pulpo Pig and Peppers, which are three of the big things from Galicia. The the octopus uh, pig, because nearly everything includes yeah. pork, which it does in Spain, doesn't it? Really, yeah. and peppers, which are the the famous padron peppers. They're oh, small yeah. green peppers, and one in ten is supposed to be chili hot. So oh, they're sort okay. of like a Russian roulette of peppers. Ooh, oh, wow. ooh, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. I like the regular no, calm I remember, yeah, I remember years ago, I bought some very, very small chilies from um, okay, just a fruit and veg shop. And every year I just plant them and I get the, the, these really hot chilies about as big as your thumbnail. And oh my, you know, they're really, 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 really hot. So, so you have to, well, you know, send me the, send, well, we'll put it in the podcast, but send me the, the details of the books and I'll put them on the, um, the, the move to Spain group and then people can they get can are you on Kindle or is that the technical term for it? Uh, um, uh, they're, they're free on Kindle Unlimited if anybody has that and they're available on Kindle or on paperback or hardback as well if anybody really wants to. And do you have any upcoming projects? Is there anything in the works? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm looking at doing a cookery book at the moment. Because I do like that makes uh, sense. That makes cooking, sense. so I'm, I'm looking at that. There are some recipes in my books, actually, some Galician recipes in in the books. Um, but I'm looking at possibly doing a cookery book. What's... And at the moment, I'm trying to get my uh, work and my um, my allotment sort of back into production because it sort of uh, faded a bit last year. I was very naughty; didn't get it done. But for the for the American and Canadian listeners, an allotment is an English thing where the government has to give you a little tiny piece of land by law. Oh, I think really? you have to make so many pieces of land available in each town hall, each each local authority. And you and it's very small. It's like a sixth of an acre. I don't know what that is in meters. But yeah, so an allotment just for translation is like a little a little piece of land. Yeah, I don't I mean, in, in, in Spanish, it would be a huerta. I don't know what I would call it. Mine is sort of not attached to the house. It's just beyond the house across a little track. And it's about a 1,000 square metres, but I've always called it an allotment because I don't know what else to call it, really. It's, uh, it's our land. It's not uh, a government-owned thing, but I just... I don't know what else I'd call it, really. It's sort of a vegetable plot, I suppose, but a it's large a one. Plot. I mean, anything works. Anything works. Yeah, exactly. Anything it grew, grows food. So. I think as long as you know what it is, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I think this time of year with all the digging, you, you, you just call it all sorts of names. <laughs> I have to say, actually, um, John was just translating for um, Americans, Canadians. And when I did my first three books, I never really thought about it because I just wrote in British English. And a very nice lady contacted me from the States and said, you've got all these words in here. Can you tell me what they all mean? And she'd give me this whole list of words. And I <laughs> didn't realise they were so different. So when I wrote my second book, I actually reached out to her and I said, would you read my book? And could we between us do a glossary for our business across the States? And she very kindly did a glossary for, for all the books for me. So the second and third books has, have a, a translation in the back from uh, British to American English, which uh, was very, very kind of us. <laughs> it's good to have. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Maybe we need to get a move to Spain glossary in the, in the Yeah, I know something. I'm forever like, trying to put like all the different types of English words when I'm talking to people about, about, ver about ver various things. 
Um, so what else? What about healthcare? How are you for how are you for healthcare where you are? Um, we were very lucky because, as I said, we moved 17 years ago. Um, my husband's now retired and has a, an S1, which is um, the the form that you get when you've paid into. Um, I'll explain it, John. You can do it better than me. I think the S. I think the S1 is if you're an English um, if you're a, pensioner, a pensioner you can transfer your NHS, which is like the social, the state medicine, to the social state medicine of of Spain. Really, there's nothing wrong with the social health care in Spain. But everybody now, it's I'm, excellent. I, I can't praise Spanish healthcare enough. My husband has unfortunately had to go a couple of times to the hospital. Um, once when he managed to get knocked over and broke his ribs. Oh, no. Um, they were excellent. I mean, we were at the side of the road. Um, I was shouting, you know, Ayuda me, help, help. And a couple of people came over. They rang the ambulance, they rang the doctors. Within five minutes, our local doctor was here. Um, two nurses were there. The ambulance arrived, they took us to the hospital. Um, they sorted him out. They kept him in for five days. I mean, it was just, I could not complain about anything, really. Um, well, thank God for a speedy response. I mean, that that is very, very good that they managed to get there so fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're probably going to look at wrapping things up here just because we're, we're running yeah. out of time. But is, where, where, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, first of all. But where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on my website, uh, which is um, lisaroserite.wixsite.com slash author, or I do have a Facebook page too, um, which is called Gal Author, but I can't for the life of me remember the link. Can you do, can you just send us everything and we'll just do a, and we'll just do a post on the Move to Spain group? We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, that'll we'll, probably we'll... be easier. Yeah, I'm not very good at remembering all these long numbers and things that you get on Facebook. I just have um, just just two little questions, really. Because um, English people drive on the left and Spanish people drive on the right. How were you changing over? Were you okay? You're still here. Um, yeah, for, for 11 years we had a, a British car here. We imported our very old Ford Escort. And I actually felt quite happy driving in the gutter, really. I felt safer, I think. But uh, now we've got a Spanish car, and yeah, no problem. You get um, used to it, I think. And and with the renovations, or the probably building work renovations, the building work. Did you did you use the did you use Spanish people, or did you do it yourself? We did it all ourselves. <laughs> but but I would assume there's a village builder and things like that for people who there is. Yeah, you you can you can always find a builder. The best place to find out about anything is probably in the local bar. To be honest, oh, yeah, I was, about to finish I, was, I was about to finish your sentence for you. That's that's always the that's a, that's a good place to look for property for sale, isn't it? The local bar. Oh, definitely. When we bought the second house, which was for my mum, we just asked around all the neighbours and the bars and said. You know, do you know anywhere? And um, that was how we found the second property. Yeah, best place to find. You know, well, yep, they know everything in the bars. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. It's been been fantastic, and we'll put the link to the books, and people can read about all your adventures. <laughs> thank you, John. John, thank you very I'll, much. I'll uh, send you over on that link that you sent. Thank you. Right. You too. Thanks a lot.
Okay, so now, uh, after that fantastic interview, we are going to take some questions. This week, I was having a look through the Move to Spain Facebook group, and as always, somebody has been asking about capital gains tax. It's a little bit of a complicated topic, but maybe I'm hoping you can enlighten us a little bit, John. Well, hopefully I can um, steer you in the right direction. The, the problem with capital gains tax, <laughs> well, any tax, <laughs> you, if I could give the example of, of the United Kingdom, I appreciate there's people listening to this from all over the world, but in the United Kingdom, if you live in your own house and you make a profit, then you don't have to pay any capital gains tax to the UK government. Um, there are certain hurdles that you have to get over, but in principle, that's the system. However, if you sell your property in the United Kingdom, any property, and you make a profit, and you then come to Spain and become a tax resident in Spain, then in principle, you could be liable to pay capital gains tax in Spain on the profit that you made from, for example, your UK property. Now, the good news is if you're flexible about when you move to Spain, this tax is avoidable. So, for example, here we go. I'm a UK citizen and I sell my primary residence in the United Kingdom or indeed any other residence and I make a profit. And I do that on the 1st of January. Now the Spanish tax here runs from the 1st of January to the 31st of December. Now, if I then move to Spain in say August, and I live in Spain until the end of the year, I do not become a tax resident in Spain because I've spent less than 183 days living in Spain. So I would be exempt from Spanish tax and therefore Spanish capital gains tax. Now, the 183 days, you can mix and match, you can go backwards and forwards, but it's for you to prove it to the Spanish tax office, which is called Hacienda. So make sure that you keep as much information, research, documentation as you can to prove that you've only been in Spain for or, or less than this period. Now, I would add that is the basic explanation as far as I understand. If you find yourself looking at a capital gains tax liability in Spain, i.e. you spend more than 183 days in Spain, you become a tax resident and you sell your UK property and you make a profit, then there are exemptions. There's an exemption based on age and there's an exemption based on certain amounts of reinvestment within certain amounts of periods of time, which is beyond my, my understanding. But a lot of people in the Move to Spain Facebook group will know about Pablo, our Spanish tax lawyer. Pablo has a, a law degree and a master's degree in tax and he's formerly from PricewaterhouseCoopers. So any issue about Spanish tax, it's worthwhile that you take advice on this before you move to Spain, just like you would if you buy a property in Spain, take advice on the, on the tax issue. It is, it, is it is avoidable if you know, if you know how to do it, assuming you're flexible on moving to Spain. 
I mean, I'd love to hear in the comments if the capital gains exemption is available in America or other countries, but even, even if it's not, if you make a profit anywhere in the world on a property and you come to Spain and become a tax resident, the, the capital gains issue is here. Mm-hmm. I hope Sean's here to understand yeah, if I'm talking yeah, nonsense. Yeah, no, no, I would have, I would have interjected if there was anything I don't oh, understand, right. but it seems, <laughs> seems like yeah. I, I understand what yeah. you meant. But really, again, it, it depends. It seems to me like it depends on the situation. So if you have any specific queries, yeah. you know, and you, yeah. need, you need to give numbers, it's best to have a, a consultation with it's, somebody. It's a question just like, I need advice on my property. When I buy a property, I need advice on my tax when I'm coming to Spain. Just put it down as a, as a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I did see a question as well um, asking if there are any important deadlines coming up for tax. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, there are. The, if you're a tax resident, so you might remember what I said earlier, if you spent more than 183 days in Spain between the 1st of January and the 31st of December, again, doesn't have to be a continuous period, you can mix and match. If that's the case, you have to file your modelo, which is Spanish for tax form, 720 before the end of March, well, this year mm-hmm. and, and any year. So this would be for, for, for last year, 2023. Now, again, we have a Spanish tax lawyer who can deal with that for you, um, but there's no legal requirement to have a, a lawyer, but if you want one, we have we, we have Pablo who can do that for you. Um, as always, if you've got any questions, send them into business at justlostlisters.com. I've also seen uh, a couple of questions asking if the amount for the non-lucrative visa has increased. There seems to have been some mixed reports online. Do you have anything to say to address that? I've literally just gone to the next office and spoken to Anna, the visa lawyer. And as of February 2024, when we're recording this, it hasn't increased, but it it will. But at the moment, it hasn't. And at the moment, it's 28,800 euros for the main applicant and 7,200 euros for, for the dependent. Uh, that can be income or, or savings. Okay, perfect. All right. So the next question is uh, about retirement. Uh, This person who has remained anonymous would like to know, is there a retirement visa in Spain? Which seems like it should be quite a straightforward question for us. There's a visa that you can use for retirement, but it's not called a retirement visa, confusingly. To go back to the answer to the previous question, it's the non-lucrative visa. So you can think of the non-lucrative visa as a, as a retirement visa with no age limit. Okay. <laughs> so basically, the, the clue's in the name. You come to Spain on a visa and you can't work. But you, you can be any age and that's basically it. You are allowed what's called passive income. So if you're fortunate enough to have money from a, a property rental, a pension, interest on savings, company dividends, any money that you get that doesn't involve actual working. So the difference would be, I rent out a house for money in Spain or the UK or America, as opposed to I'm running an Airbnb in Spain, UK or America. So passive income is allowed. And say for example, it's just yourself, it's 28,800 euros, but you can mix and match 
-hmm. you can say, okay, I've got a small income, but I've got the other part in the savings. So you can add it together or different proportions and you can go that way. So yeah, there is a, so you have to think of it as a retirement visa, but it's called a non-lucrative visa and it doesn't have an age limit. Well, when you say that there's no age limit, in your experience, are there young people that ever apply for the non-lucrative visa or is it mostly people at retirement age? I think it's people, not retirement age in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, older people who've got you know, savings, buy to let, mm-hmm. things like that. Not, it's not restricted totally to your typical, what you think of a pension. I see, okay, okay, understandable. Okay, but not somebody who's in their, their 20s, most likely, no. unless in an extreme circumstance. Well, it'd be nice to have a trust fund, yeah, wouldn't no, it? Yeah, no, it would be. Would I be think the, nice. the younger people, that's more the digital nomad visa, which if you go back to podcast one, we have an interview with Anna, the visa lawyer, and she, she talked about that, the digital nomad visa, around about 2,200 a month, um, and that's available for everybody. And that's basically for people who want to work from, work from home uh, in Spain. Yeah, And of course, there's, uh, there's always plenty of information available online, whether it's the Move to Spain Facebook group. You can actually see a lot of these requirements listed on the Spanish government website, which is also a good place to get started. But in my experience, when I was applying for my visa, I found it to be a bit confusing. So getting help uh, in the form of a consultation is, is usually the best way to go about it. Um, I did actually use Anna, the, <laughs> the, the lawyer here at Just Law Solicitors, to get mine. Um, and she is currently accepting um, appointments online. You just have to go to calendly.com forward slash Just Law Solicitors. So that's C-A-L E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash forward slash just law solicitors and you can book in to have a Zoom call with Anna uh, and I believe she also does in person. Yeah, if, if so. you're here in um, Anna works from our uh, Fuengarola office, so if you're in the area, you can you can meet Anna Anna face to face. But like I always say, there's no legal requirement to have a lawyer. Uh, but if you do use a lawyer, make sure you get the bar registration number in writing, and that means that you've got a proper qualified, regulated and insured Spanish life. Going off of what you just said, actually, I know sometimes there are different requirements. For the non-lucrative visa, can you already be in Spain when you apply or do you have to be outside you of Spain? To, you have to be outside of Spain when you outside. apply for the, okay. non, for the non-lucrative visa. So in that case, book an appointment with Anna online. Do not come to the office for that one. Yeah, we, we'd, we'd hate to take you off the beach on, on your, on on your holidays holiday. to yeah. come and... Seek legal advice. So yeah, online is probably easier for most people, okay, especially, dig- especially digital people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for listening to the second episode of the Move to Spain podcast. As we've sort of mentioned throughout, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer or you'd like to come on the podcast like our guest today, just send me an email at business at justlawsolicitors.com and I will try my best to get back to you as quick as I can. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. See you next time. Bye-bye.